On today's episode of the Drive-In Podcast, we have a mini express checkup with yours truly, Dr. O. We have our trailer roundup, and then we have a double review for Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and The Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos prequel. So use the bathroom now, grab that popcorn, and enjoy the 57th episode of the Drive-In Podcast. Take one. Bada bing, bada boom. Episode 57 has arrived of the Drive-In Podcast. This is Dr. Rowe, and I'm joined by Nez and Ricky Flicks. Boys, we had a slight scare this afternoon. Slight scare. I thought the podcast may have ceased to exist following all the social media mayhem that took place. But it looks like Facebook's back online. Instagram's back online. Let's say, hypothetically, social media went kaput. What's your final take you spout off, movie take you spout off before uh, social media bit the dust? Flex anything? It's a great question. A great question. Um, did not see this question coming. This yeah, is- I, I just I, I, I kind of freelanced it. Uh, uh, Bradley Cooper should have won best uh, best actor. <laughs> And uh, for <laughs> Star is Born over Rami Malek. <laughs> that's that's the take you have? No, that's, it's, I can't, that's not a hot up. take, I don't I'm, think. I'm trying to think of something. I agree but with you that get, take. You, you get me. I didn't know the question was coming. I'm trying to think <laughs> of something. You have one tweet and you fire off Bradley Cooper. I'm thinking. For a Star is Born. I don't know. Miracle is the best sports movie of all time. Uh, okay. I'm trying. You got me off guard. Nez, you got one? You think of any? I don't. I can't think of anything right now. I'll, I'm gonna, th- <laughs> I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna throw out Watchmen's most underrated superhero movie of all time. Watchmen's most under underrated superhero movie of all time. It's not bad. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I just want to see what we have. We, mm. we had cooking there. I can see our brains are turning a little slow. We're deep in the work day right now. <laughs> Nez, you seem like you had an insane Sunday, football Sunday. J E T S Jess Jess Jess. You want to give us any insight on your day? Yeah, I mean, I was at the I was at the Jets game. I got to see the Jets win. Um, I had great seats, you know, 15th row behind the end zone. Uh, the missed field goal at the end that gave the Jets the win was towards my end zone. So we, we were having the best time yelling at the Titans fans, jumping around. I mean, I had just it was just an amazing day. Overtime win when you go to see the Jets when they're supposed to lose. Everybody told me all week, terrible, terrible game to be at. You shouldn't go. Like they're gonna lose, they're gonna get blown out. And what do you know? The Jets pull it out in overtime, and I'm right there to see it. The ball is flying towards me. He shanked it. Ah, oh, great. Fat Randy. Can't rely on Fat Randy. Though <laughs> I remember Nez sent a Snapchat to the drive-in pod, snap like Snapchat group, and it was a I think he's underselling his excitement level for this game. He stripped off his shirt. Our buddy John stripped off his shirt, who we will have on the podcast most likely for a Star Wars review. 
They went absolutely nutso. I, I'm surprised they weren't didn't show up on a viral video. That might have been the last social media post I saw on Instagram tweeted by Barstool Sports or something. Like I could I could have seen you guys making it on there. That's yeah. how nuts oh, you guys seemed. The, honestly, probably I was hugging people that I like you know didn't know. There was like an older Italian guy in the crowd that became my best friend. Um, one thing about going to sporting events is is that I I really feel bad if I'm like drinking a little bit because I forget not to curse. Like I was like, that's effing I'm dropping F bombs left and right. And then I just like looked and there was like a six year old kid with his dad in front of me (laughs) (laughs) and they're just watching the game, ignoring me. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. So (laughs) at least you don't know him. At least you don't know. him. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. I, I honestly wanted to storm the field. Uh, afterwards, I was ecstatic. <laughs> After a regular ecstatic. season win, that's where we're at with the Jets. Yeah, I was ecstatic is- when we had the lead. It was the first lead that we've had in like I don't all season. We haven't been in the lead all season. I, there's a video of me. I, I'm about look like I'm about to cry. I'm like, we're winning a game. I'm so <laughs> happy. And then they just lose it once that field goal missed. Oh once my you god, guys we were so relieved. We yeah, we were chanting. You know what? The really really stupidness. I wouldn't have done this if I wasn't drinking. This was a really bad idea. But when the Jets had the ball with three minutes left, I think game's over. No way we're going to overtime. And I'm chanting, na, 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 hey, 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 goodbye. <laughs> you, and then they tied the game. You, jinx. Oh, you could have been a jinx. That was really bad. But speaking of jinxes, when I ripped my shirt off the first time to celebrate a touchdown, uh, I put it on backwards and I didn't quite notice for like a couple minutes, but then I was like, then we threw <laughs> another it. touchdown and I had to leave my, I, that, which meant that I had to leave my Jersey on backwards until the end of the game. Obviously no choice, no choice. Yeah. You had to, I thought when you were saying, j- speaking of jinx, I thought you were going to talk about Robert Durst. <laughs> <laughs> the, the documentary there. Yeah. I just watched the jinx dude. That, that documentary is fire. And then another take I would also spout now that you brought up the uh, jinx is I would say that is one of the that is the most not yet another underrated tweet the most underrated theme song to any like movie TV show whatever it is that was fire like that mm-hmm. that, that song is great I, I I love watching that documentary just for that beginning too uh, a revolutionary like documentary if you worst hot mic in history yeah he was the uh, Tom Brenneman before Tom Brenneman but a thousand um, year uh, much much worse. Yes. What is this about? I don't I don't know what this is about. Uh, This guy who's like an heir to a New York, uh, like a like a like a multimillionaire, like type like real estate company. He's an heir to it. And uh, he's accused of murder in one uh, again, I guess in the year 2000 around there, maybe a little bit later. I think it's around 2000. But he all he also has been uh, accused of a uh, the disappearance of his wife back in the 80s. So it was like it's a. It's a if you haven't seen it, it's a wild ride. I'd highly recommend it. What's wow. the hot mic? Yeah, oh, no, we can't say it. We can't, oh, you say, can't it. say it. Okay. That's the whole reason to, to watch it. it. Uh, okay. You have to watch it. It's right, revolutionary, right. dude. It's like it solves a crime. It solves the whole case in the documentary. It's unbelievable. Oh it's like gosh. What, it's like what podcast like true crime pro- podcast kind of strive for today. It was the first to ever do that. And I wow. would say I would put it up there. I would say it's the best like shoot like murder pop murders like a uh, documentary series i've ever seen i would say it all right Ricky it's all right. Like, I don't know. <sighs> i'm just full of hot takes right now i'm just spewing like, it's flame, better you can see the flames are like going out of my head right now it's hot takes i know what i would say it's not a move I, I have a hot take now oh and and 
I don't know if it's that hot of a take. It's also not a movie one, but I always have to say this. The Office is better than Parks and Rec, and the people who say that are just absolutely insane. Yeah, agreed. Yes, I, I would say I would say it's more of a hot take if you said Parks and Rec was better than The Office. You know, yeah, you, there's, there's a following. There, there's people that say that, and it's unbelievable. Yeah, that's a scorching hot take, and that, that's probably led to the demise of social media in the past 12 hours. Exactly. Um, Ricky, any hot takes before we get on to the checkup here? Redemption. I thought we were over this. I, <laughs> I thought I was this giving was you time over. to think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dang it. I'm like uh, a teacher putting you on the spot in the back of the class and they're not paying attention. Yeah, exactly. That's really exactly what's going on. Uh, yeah. No, that's a struggle bus over here. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll come back to you at the end of the podcast. No, I want a steaming hot take. All right, let's get to the checkup. What do you guys say? Just do it. Short one this week. The Bodyguard remake is putting a new spin on its lead character. Uh, new director Matthew Lopez discusses plans for the remake and plans on using the movie to bring a Latin presence to cinemas. He said, quote, instead of focusing on an established star like the one Whitney Houston played, this is about a young Latina performer who has just become famous. It's about how her life has changed because she is an overnight sensation. In the 21st century, that means she's in immediate need of protection. It was important to me to use this opportunity to get Latin faces up on that screen and to get their stories told in a big way. Next on the checkup, James Gunn, some superhero news, says he's developing another DC project besides Peacemaker, the spinoff from The Suicide Squad. President of DC Films, Walter Hamada, a controversial figure, has said, quote, he'll be back. We have more stuff planned, although James Gunn hasn't hinted at what this mysterious new project is. He did tease in an interview with Screen Rant that there's another corner of the DC universe he'd like to explore. It's not what anybody would expect. I'll tell you that much. And then I'll just bring in the trailer roundup here with the short checkup. We get Andrew Garfield, Alexander Shipp, and Vanessa Hudgens starring in the new trailer for Lin-Manuel Miranda's Tick, Tick, Boom. The film's set to release on November 19th on Netflix. And then George Mackay thinks he is a wolf in a human body in the first trailer for Wolf. The film releases on December 3rd in theaters. All right, Ricky Flex. I think we got to start out with James Gunn, new project for DC. He's wrapping up Guardians of the Galaxy with Marvel, with Guardians of the Galaxy 3, coming off the Suicide Squad. Now he's got Peacemaker. What do you want to see him tackle next? I'm a little surprised with the checkup. Not going to lie. I didn't check over it. I'm just saying, when he, when I heard James Gunn, I thought it was going to be about the MCU character going to be in the holiday Ooh. special. Good that's point I, too. That's what I thought it was going to be about, but uh, DC project didn't we? We did talk about this uh, before um, with Suicide Squad, potential for a Suicide Squad two, or a new DC project. I honestly don't know. Um, again, on the spot, I'm failing. I'm failing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm failing. testing your wits right now, and I yeah, am just absolutely failing. Uh, you're going to be on your toes for the rest of this podcast. You never know what I'm going to throw at you. Like freaking fireballs. You got to be catching them left and right. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. We're just not but you know, it's, you know, it's going to be an obscure character. So it's like maybe right. like a D, maybe like a, I, I could see him like doing maybe, you know, how we had like a Joker movie with obviously a very serious type of role, role and a very serious dark edge type movie. Maybe we get a more like fun like anti-hero type movie from James Gunn, maybe a lower level Batman villain. Like we talked about like Mr. Freeze. That's what that would be like a darker one, but like maybe 
I don't know, maybe like a Riddler movie. I can see him doing something like that. It wouldn't happen because we're getting the Riddler and the Batman. But it's just fascinating to see that he is so obsessed also with superhero movies. You would think the man would move on, right, and go on to bigger and better things, try and prove himself. But we know he's a great superhero director, but I guess he's just like sticking to what he's good at. Mm-hmm. I, okay, if we want to, I'll, I'll throw out some names here for DC characters. <laughs> Green Lantern would be interesting. He has experience out Ooh. in space. Green That's Lantern, cool. uh, it depends on which one. I know there's a series coming out, so probably not this one. So, but uh, how Jordan could be a funny character you saw in Ryan Reynolds, and and uh, DC animated series could be an interesting character James Gunn could tackle. Um, Martian Manhunter, I love that character in the DC animated series. You saw a glimpse of it in Snyder Cut. Restore the Snyderverse still, but looks like it's not going to happen. That's a character I would love to explore again. Outer space elements. James Gunn has experience with that with Guardians. That's another one I would say. Maybe so like, that. dude, how about this? How about this? I got an idea. The man loves team up movies, right? Maybe a younger, immature audience. Maybe a Teen Titans movie. Teen Titans. Like a Teen Titans. Well, the Titans show is doing cool. really well on HBO Max. Yeah, but I don't, if, if they make it officially part of like this DCEU, I don't know if, if they mm-hmm. consider Titans that it could because of the multiverse that's going to set up in the Flash. But I think he could do something cool with that characters like Beast Boy and like Cyborg and more like fun Cyborg, less serious one that we got yeah. in the Snyder Cut and in uh, whatever, whenever we've seen him, right? Well, the original Justice League. So I don't, I'm kind of appealed by that. Uh, Nez, do you have any like uh, suggestions maybe for what gun uh, should attack next? No, but I, I, I really think I, I guess I don't blame him for doing all these uh, superhero movies. He's playing both sides of the aisle. Getting he's, that money. He's, he's, yeah, he's making tons of money. DC, oh, yeah. Marvel going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> snip, snap, snip, snap. He's making a lot of money. <laughs> he's making a lot of money. But I would like to see him make something that's not a superhero movie. I think that he could do something really cool. Um but yeah, in terms of things that he that he would do another DC project, I I think you guys I think Teen Titans is actually a sick idea. So I'm that just gonna steal idea. that one. Yeah, we'll, we'll, t- we'll tag James Gunn in that clip. I'll uh, I'll cut up for us and then uh, friend of the pod, if, friend of the pod. See if we get some more interaction from our boy. Uh, and then Ricky Flux brought up a great point that I forgot to include because I'm a dummy. But the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special is supposed to incorporate a one of the most well-known. I think that was the quote he used. Ricky Flux, do you have the quote? He said, "Uh, it, uh a very the greatest." Like a, he said, "Like the, the greatest one, MCU one of the greatest Marvel characters will be incorporated into." The holiday special for Guardians of the Galaxy, which and I'm looking forward to, and I ranked in my top five most anticipated projects from Disney did. Investors Day, if you if you recall. Yes, and I think this one's obvious, uh, at least to me, uh, Doctor. I don't know if you agree, Nez. I uh, no. Judging by the end of Guardians of the Galaxy two, I think it should be pretty obvious. Are, are you thinking Adam Warlock here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aisha yes. connection from Guardians two. Um, I think that's pretty, and like I think that's pretty apparent that that's going to be what it is based on. And James Gunn has said in the past that he that he was supposed to be in Guardians two, but the cast was just so full and the story was so full that he couldn't do it. So I think it's just kind of an easy transition over to Adam Warlock here. Yeah, but do you think he would give it away like that? Do you think he's like throwing like a throwing a little like uh well, he's trying to like misdirection from the audience maybe it's not adam warlock maybe he's saving him for guardians of the galaxy 3 but like it's got to be him right yeah like again like he said he said in the past adam warlock's one of his favorite mcu characters or marvel characters 
and he was supposed to be like a, a major or uh, a role have a role in guardians too but just from the story and cast being so full already like full of characters just it was minimized so it's just clear that he's going to use him at some point and him saying this already saying one of the greatest characters and it's one of his favorites here it just has to be adam warlock with the already uh connection with aisha or whatever yeah. how you pronounce it the golden princess yeah elizabeth debicki right Tana. yeah Tenant. Tall, uh, tall, that's tall a take, actor. I would say. Tenant the tallest, is good. The t- the tallest, that's a take yeah, that's Twitter. good. There it is. Tenant is good. Yeah, that's <laughs> that. That's definitely a hot take at this time. But Elizabeth Debicki might be like the tallest actress who's ever lived. She's a giant. She is really? huge. <laughs> She's huge in right. Tenant, dude. Have you ever seen her next to John David Washington? You look like a dwarf next to her. An absolute right. dwarf. Over under, what do we, your guesses for how tall she is, both of you? 6'1". 6'1". 5'11". She's six three. Oh my god, she's the biggest woman ever, dude. Six tall, three. Tall, tall. She's in the WNBA. Like that's, that's insanely tall. I did not for see an actress. How, all right, how tall is Robert Pattinson? She did not look taller than Robert Pattinson. I, I, I was blown away. I thought I was gonna nail the six one, but six three. Wow. See, Robert Pattinson's six one. Wow. So you're telling she me dwarfs that Batman? Tabicki was taller than Pattinson and Tenant. Did they put like, huh? She's almost a foot taller than me, bro. It's embarrassing. Yeah, <laughs> it's, crazy. Yeah, it's not embarrassing. It's just humans. Like, oh no, it's happens. embarrassing, dude. It's it's definitely embarrassing. Mm. You want to know? Trans- another, wait, want to know another Twitter take I thought of? <laughs> now he's on fire. Now he's rolling. The Watch is a great comedy. <laughs> great. I like that. All Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Vince Vaughn. Jonah Hill. Uh, effing great. pun. <laughs> I guess it's not what you were expecting. <laughs> Great. Uh, uh, right. Now Ricky. Now Ricky can't control himself because he's so many takes. <laughs> um, so I think I also want to go into the trailer roundup a little bit. I like. I, I guess like the Adam Warlock's the farthest that conversation was really going to go. But I was fascinated by the tick tick boom uh, musical that's coming up. Nez, this is kind of up your alley. Do you know this? This movie is about Andrew uh, Jonathan Larson. Excuse me. And Nez, does that name ring a bell at all to you? No. So. Jonathan Larson. So Tick, Tick, Boom is a musical from Lin-Manuel Miranda starring Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield is playing this guy named Jonathan Larson. He is the creator of Rent. Oh. Musical. So the the Tick, Tick, Boom is like he actually wrote Tick, Tick, Boom, the musical. Uh, He died only at the age of 35. So he lived a very hard life, impoverished life. And then he hit it big with rent and tick tick boom is kind of like uh, autobiographical so i'm actually fascinated by this it seems like andrew garfield is kind of on the up and up right now after being after he's been he's disappeared like he like it's well, been a while like there was other news today with andrew garfield yeah i was just about to bring it up eyes of tammy faye he's getting pushed for an oscar and now we have tick tick boom which i assume he's going to be pushed for another oscar and then we're looking at a potential appearance in spider-man no way home the man like is this back. could he, he absolutely is back, dude. And I can, can you imagine what if he gets a double nomination here? Highly yeah. unlikely, but I think it's possible. Yeah. And in a COVID COVID year where less performances, maybe perhaps seeing sneak into a supporting Oscar nom here. I don't know. And also I just had to say off this trailer, this is something where obviously we had in the Heights Nez, you loved it. Not necessarily up my alley with the talk, uh, singing while talking and that, that type of uh, musical there. <laughs> This looks like more up my alley, where it's a story with singing involved. That is what I like to see. And Andrew Garfield sounds like he has some decent pipes. Like, pretty, like he is a great singer. If that's actually him, like, wow. So, right. like, I'm looking forward to this a lot. 
dude like those songs were fire too if you listen to the trailer mm. they sound so good it's, it's like I, I i'm really i i my excitement has been uh tuned up for that movie and now i'm like looking forward to seeing it hopefully i think it's only gonna be in theaters though mm-hmm. if i recall i don't right. think it's not hbo max and i don't think it's a street any other streaming service so that'll be cool and then i really want to bring up george oh, mckay really predictors quick. predictors oh predictors. oh thermometer predictor there's yeah, an official trailer official full trailer yeah, so Andrew Garfield, tick, tick, boom. Ricky Flex, what are you giving it? 88. Mm, 88 from Flex. Nez, give us a number, dude. 70. Wow. 70. I'm going with an 86. 86. I'm in a similar boat as Ricky Flex. Uh, after In the Heights. It could be better than In the Heights, though. I think it will be better than In the Heights. I think that will. I don't think it will. The, the, the movie. You don't think it'll be better than the movie? In the Heights? No. <laughs> oh we don't we don't know this is a huge fan of that movie um and lastly to wrap up the trailer roundup george mckay thinks he's a wolf is the weirdest trailer maybe of the year so far this Dude, what this, the heck was that it, 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 he literally goes to this it's like a uh human versus nature type of thing and he's like a scientist basically recruits these humans that want to be like another animal and then he falls in love and then he wants to eat the person he's in love and this was my pick to be the next james the young james bond (laughs) though maybe the worst pick of all time that was the weirdest weirdest trailer i've ever seen in my life it was scary (laughs) i was like i was like this is gonna keep me up Uh, (laughs) right when uh he was like supposed to be like a predator and she's like a prey I was like, oh, she she eats him at the end, or he eats her at the end. That's immediately yeah. what I thought, and that's like the movie. Don't have yeah. to see it. I like, I'm I'm out, I'm out on it, and I like George Mackay, especially after 1917. But I can't defend him there, not at all. So that does it for the trailer roundup. That does it for the checkup. Let's now move on to our review of Venom. Let there be carnage. Ricky flicks. We are reviewing. Venom 2. Me and you this week. No Nez for the Venom Let There Be uh, Let There Be Carnage review. Starring Tom Hardy. Starring Woody Harrelson, Naomi Harris, Michelle Williams. Directed by Andy Serkis in his first major feature. First blockbuster. The man, the king of CGI himself. Venom Let There Be Carnage has a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes. Has an 86% audience score. IMDb with a 6.7 out of 10. I'm going to give the synopsis here, and then we're going to dive in to two of the most electric characters in comic book history. So, synopsis reads, Eddie Brock is still struggling to coexist with the shape-shifting extraterrestrial Venom when deranged serial killer Cletus Cassidy also becomes host to an alien symbiote. Brock and Venom must put aside their differences to stop Cletus Cassidy's reign of terror as carnage. All right, so the first movie, Venom, comes out 2018, starring Tom Hardy. Debuts with 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, makes $800 million at the box office. A lucrative film for Sony. An absolute smash, where your newest sequel is coming. The the post-credit, Venom, introduces Cletus Cassidy, Woody Harrelson, with his crazy red hair, which somehow he loses his curls for this one. They changed it. He just got some, I think he just started to use some product somehow when he was in Ravencroft. Uh, prison. So Ricky Flex, where I want to start here, I want to go over our histories with the character, because I think it's important before we talk about this movie to understand the importance of these two characters with Marvel, with their associations with Spider-Man and in the Sony universe. So Ricky Flex, what's your history with Venom and Carnage? Maybe we start off with Venom. Maybe did you grow up with them? Did you read the comic books? Do you like the character? Hit us with it. 
Okay, well, I think it's going to be similar to to yours because obviously we lived in the same household. But obviously the the Spider Man animated series like Venom, Eddie Brock, like there wasn't this two like uh, two separate things. Like there wasn't a Venom. There's no We Are Venom. It's just Venom. Right. It was so this uh, Tom Hardy speak like uh, and Venom like inside his mind slash like you know what I'm saying like there's an actual thing talking to him there's not a, he wasn't an alien like that was right. actually had it was its just, own mind it well yeah it, well it did kind of like it controlled eddie brock it did like come a part of him and take control of him but eddie brock still well, could not communicate when venom was controlling him right and there wasn't like venom leaving his body and like his head coming out and talking to eddie brock no no yeah not, that's what i'm saying like there's not like an actual like two separate like obviously it, it takes control and things like that but like, not like that, like this, like personality where this like movie felt like a rom-com, you know what I mean? There wasn't any of that. And like the relationship issues that we see in this movie. So there definitely wasn't any of that, that I grew up on, but I love the character as, and I think it's just a great counterpart to a Spider-Man and really the movie, like, I, I guess, I guess I'll stop there and leave, uh, give you the rest of the floor to answer your question. Yeah. So Venom, I, he was arguably my favorite like comic book villain as a kid. I didn't read a ton of the comic books. I should say I watched the animated series. I was, I, my dad passed down some of my comic books. I was, uh, cause he had a Spider-Man collection. I always wanted to like check out the ones that had Venom in it. Cause Venom was so imposing. I thought he looked cool with the black suit. He was like a more badass Spider-Man or like anti-hero type, but I, I knew him more, uh, more as a villain. Um, I, I found it interesting because he doesn't have like the webs, right? That Spider-Man does expect in the 2018 one. But growing up, it seemed like he still like slung webs, just like Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. And then so going along with that, I just I didn't I love the way he looked in Spider-Man three played by Topher Grace, a, a, a very forgettable Eddie Brock. So it kind of and it, you don't have the connection to Spider-Man in 2018 Venom with Tom Hardy, so he doesn't have the webs, right? He's just slinging Venom at it, like literal literal Venom to like swing if he's going mm-hmm. to swing. A lot of times he's just a monster jumping from building to building. And then Carnage, Carnage is a fascinating character and a dark character. Just like I, knew, I grew up with uh, Venom being a much darker character than it's being portrayed in these movies. Carnage is a literal serial killer, right? Cletus Cassidy, serial killer in Ravencroft. They changed up the origin to Cletus Cassidy in this movie uh, a tad. I would say more than a tad uh, in the terms of how he becomes a symbiote. He is just uh, someone I've been looking forward to seeing on the screen for so, for so for so long. I was hoping at some point you would get a Venom, Carnage, and Spider-Man movie in one. But based on this movie, it's going to be hard to actually imagine that. I, I thought... This could have had an R rating. I think I kind of want to start there, Ricky Flex, after like going through these backgrounds. I think it should have had the R rating because you really could explore these characters, the darkness to them. I know you got to make up, make it bankable, especially because the first one made $800 million. But what do you think about the rating for this movie? And do you think they should have taken it to that R level? Definitely think I should. For a better movie, they should have. But I do think they did it so they can get more box office numbers, more people to see it as well. And like it did have its F-bombs. It did have its gory scenes that seemed like, wow, is this rated? Like you made you question, is this rated R? Like did I actually see it mm-hmm. already? But then there are obviously the, the corny, campy scenes throughout and dialogue. It was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely not a rated R type movie. Like this is like something that kids could see as well. So it definitely had that kind of identity issue, I think, throughout the movie where it had its campy moments, but you could, you're sitting back and saying, hey, 
I would like to see a little more here. I think some there could have been a lot more that could have been done, not just for Venom or not just for Carnage, but for both here. And I, I think I'll stop there and give it back to you. Just saying like, I wasn't disappointed uh, with the movie as in I did enjoy it. I did think the CGI like fight fest that we like to call them. I, I did think they were good and they were gory enough. I don't think, I'm not saying they're not gory or not gory enough. I'm just saying I did like them. I just think that as a story, it could have been better if it was rated R, if that makes sense. Yes, I think, yeah, I agree too, because you could show the background to Cletus Cassidy. You right. had a very brief background to his character. You showed him and his relationship to Shriek, played by Naomi Harris. Uh, but I think after the first Venom film, I liked it more than critics did. And I think I'm on the opposite spectrum now where I don't think as highly about this movie as the critics or in the audiences think about this movie. I kind of liked how the first one, it had a dark edge to it to a point. Yes, it had the comic relief, but the thing where the second one kind of falls off is that comic relief aspect where it literally consumes the movie, consumes the movie to the point where you have Venom cracking jokes maybe every two minutes. Maybe even less. Like less. it's just, and I would say they're hitting about half the time. Um, and then they, as you said before, you brought up like the romantic comedy aspect. It's like sim- the symbiote with Eddie Brock, how they interact with one another, how they break up, then they get back together. Like they made it in like to like almost like too much of a comedic level when you have a literal ser- serial killer who is now interacting with this symbiote, and it takes away from like oh my god, like the 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 uh, seriousness, the. Uh, the the danger like of this movie of this character so i think that that really turned me off so i mean especially after the first one you have riz ahmed which is zero laughs whatsoever he is one that is like he's supposed to be a menacing i think woody harrelson had the potential to bring that to this character but he came off as a bit campy to me so i think where i want to go with this is go into like the performances of harrelson and hardy do you think they worked and did you think they had enough time on screen with one another I think Woody Harrelson, like he, I think he was good. I, th- I think he was good as a serial killer. Like obviously he had his corny parts, especially when he did get his powers. I think that was a kind of a cringy scene there. Um, talking about Eddie Brock's blood um, and a couple other things throughout, like with Naomi Harris. But I, I, I didn't think he was bad. <laughs> um, I obviously think that without, because Venom, throughout the movie, you see Venom and uh, Tom Hardy, Eddie Brock's character, or Eddie Brock they have that relationship throughout. You don't really get the same feel for Carnage and uh, Cletus Cassidy, uh, Woody Harrelson. So he didn't really get that opportunity to have that relationship. There was somewhat saying like, you do this for me, I do this for you, but that's pretty much it. That's all you got out of that relationship, out of the symbiote and its host at Woody Harrelson. So I don't think it was the same opportunities there. Would have been interesting to see uh, more of a backstory behind that character for him to evolve, but you didn't get that. So I think for the limited story and plot lines with that character, I think that, Woody Harrelson was decent. I thought it was interesting that like, you're right. We didn't get like the same interactions Venom has with Tom Hardy, Eddie Brock, as Cletus Cassidy has with Carnage, the symbiote. Like they didn't have that primarily because a lot of times Carnage is next to Shriek for a lot of the movie and Shriek mm-hmm. can't like be around Carnage, the symbiote. So it's right. like, so it, it, I, in my opinion, it almost would have been better off. You didn't have this character Shriek in the movie at Completely all. Agree. It felt like for me, not to jump, jump plots here or jump points here but going to shriek naomi harris here this movie was only 90 minutes this movie was only 90 minutes and i felt like her character was added just to make this scene longer that's it that was my opinion or to somehow make it so venom could beat carnage at the end that because there's no other way to beat him because they both are affected by sound they're both are affected so it was shown like oh venom's relationship with eddie brock 
it's stronger than Carnage's relationship with uh, Cletus because of Shriek. But it's like you could have done something else. I think that it just ate up screen time a lot. And especially in the beginning, like when we got the, uh, the first scene of the movies, a flashback to Naomi Harris and Cletus as younger kids or whatever uh, in that first initial like the uh, home that they're in. It just felt like it was eating up screen time. And just to get to the end, which was a huge CGI fight fest between Venom and Carnage. I thought that Shriek was in the movie for like motivation for Woody Harrelson's character. Like that's, that is like a way that he like gets out and he communicates with Tom Hardy. Like he said, he puts out that quote to get her attention and things like that. I also think it's fan service. I think a lot of people that like this movie, it's not the traditional Venom in terms of what we've seen in like Spider-Man 3 or in the animated series, but rather the comic book fans. And Shriek does have a presence in the Venom and Carnage comic books. So I think that was more of also just fan service. Like it's just okay, making them I, happy for having it. But I don't think it was a way to make the film longer. It felt like, honestly, I think we should go into the film's length because this has like studio interference written all over it, in my opinion. Okay, well, one last thing. I do agree with you on that, like the fan service. I see your point there. Uh, but going back to your first point um, with uh, the motive, I think the motive was Eddie Brock put him on death row. That was the motive. You didn't. No, no, no. I'm saying, I'm, I, yes, no, no, yes, for him to like get back at Venom. I'm saying like he wants to, when he leaves prison, he wants to get, he had two things to do. He had two motives, but he wanted right. to get out of prison. He wanted to get Eddie Brock back, but he wanted to break Shriek out as well. Yeah, I well, yes, uh, yes, but I'm just saying, saying, I don't think I don't think you needed to. Yes, I don't think so either. And then I think that's where I think the 90 minutes comes into play, too. Okay. Also, too many uh, the classic Spider Man issues, having too many issues, too many villains, excuse me, in one movie. But the 90 minutes, I mean, a lot of the, I think the editing of this movie was bad, like it was just cutting from scene to scene. We mm -hmm. have like a 30 second scene here, okay? This is the backstory for Shriek, 30 seconds, Cletus Cassidy, 30 seconds for him. Let's go. Okay. 30 seconds. Okay. Now we're on to Tom Hardy. Like, it's just like, you're trying to like, I felt like they're trying to kick my ass out of the theater. It's like, they don't even want me to stay and watch it. Other than the fact that you want to hear Venom talk and crack his jokes. And you want to watch this huge CGI like fest, right? From Andy Sergis, the king of CGI. So I think Andy Serkis, I can't see him watching this movie and been like, yes, like that was, that was what we were going for. I can't like the guy that is, one of the most iconic CGI characters with Lord of the Rings, right? And like a Planet of the Apes. There's no way he made those movies. Watch what he did with this and was like comfortable with what he was putting out there. That's why I think it has studio interference written all over it. It's just, I, I, I see what you're saying and I would agree with you, except in these interviews, he, he's a great actor then because it seems like him and Tom Hardy are like in love with this movie. They think it's perfect. It's crazy. They, they do. Like, am I wrong? Like in these interviews, it seems like he is proud of this work. He's proud of what he's done here. And, but, but you're saying, I agree with you saying that he shouldn't be necessarily. I do think that his core, like the CGI aspects, like what he's played, obviously Lord of the Rings and Caesar and Planet of the Apes, as you said, I think they work here, but everything else in this movie, the actual plot, the actual movie, like editing and everything else associated with it, besides the CGI aspects, I thought was not good. Yeah, I mean the edit. Yeah, the editing was an issue. The first one, the CGI was not on point in my opinion, but I think this one they actually nailed it because mm -hmm. you had to because you have two iconic characters with Venom and Carnage. It did come off cool when they were battling on screen. There were, and I don't mean to say like we say it's corny and everything. Some of the laughs did hit. There were some yeah, funny some, moments yeah. with hit Venom. or miss but moments. I sure. would actually argue that Tom Hardy was better as the voice than he was as acting as Eddie Brock. Wow. Because Eddie, the, 
There was no substance to these characters. There's no backstory to these characters, specifically right. Carnage. There's like nothing to him. They, yeah. they gave him the 30 seconds and the, the, the terrible cuts to like the present day and everything. Like you could spend, you could afford to take five minutes to go over a character that Marvel fans want to see as much on screen as possible. They want right. to see Cletus Cassidy on screen. They don't just want to see Venom talking the entire time. We want to see this monster turn into yet another monster, the serial right. killer into the symbiote. So it just made no sense to me why they wanted to rush this when they could have taken the time. I don't know if that was a sharp criticism of mm-hmm. the first movie and they wanted to adjust it. It just, it drew me, it drew, drove me insane. And I think in the first movie, like Riz Ahmed, you saw like, oh, he wanted the symbiotes to do his like cancer research or whatever, like science research. Like you saw that you got that backstory with that villain here. It's kind of like they just rushed it saying, oh, he's a serial killer, like in prison for the rest of his life. He somehow has killed nobody. He has an association with Eddie Brock and they meet a couple of times, but that wasn't explained. And then Eddie Brock finds like where the bodies are and then death row. And that's where the movie comes in. But that initial interaction made no sense. It made no sense. And it hurt the movie in the beginning. And it's similar to Venom one. And also this one with Michelle Williams's character, where it just jumps to post relationship. They broke up and that's where the first one started. And that, that, that relationship between Michelle Williams and Eddie Brock, it's like, I don't know. Like it's it's never sold for me. It just never is. And it's because you never got that experience when they were together. You just never did. So it's just never sold really struggled for me in this movie and also in the previous one. And it's going to continue because you're never going to get a prequel to it. So that's just, it's, you're already starting at a lower tier, at least for me with those relationships. Frustrating. And it's crazy that you don't want to spend a lot of time with these actors giving a backstory. And I was talking to this, to you afterwards when when we like coming out of the theater there are four Academy Award nominees that are acting in this movie. Woody Harrelson, Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams, Naomi Harris. Four. And the only one you get substantial amount of screen time with, I would say to an appropriate amount, is Tom Hardy because he is the For star. Sure. And I felt like, Shriek, if you're going to do the fan service thing, uh, you're going to introduce this character. Let us know about the character. Give us like why she's so... like. In- connected with Cletus Cassidy. Yes. You get the idea that he was the only one that actually supported her for the movie. Like, like he was only when they were in that like orphan orphanage, he was the only one that was like by her side and things like that. But there could have been so much more that went into it where it's like, like, it's like right after carnage gets broken out, where does he go? He saves shriek. That's what he does immediately. You know? So it's just, I felt like there could have been so much more with these actors, let them kind of like show out a little bit. Let them like do their thing. Don't worry so much about the last and the CGI. Just let them go to work because now comic book movies, they're graded on such a higher level than they used to be. It's like they're at the point now where you're looking for great performances. You're not just looking to see them, how they look in a costume, the fight sequences. Yeah, you're, you have higher expectations because now like this is ingrained in Hollywood. Now people, uh, people in their acting primes are now doing superhero films where it used to be people that were on that cusp or maybe on the downturn of their career would do an acting role or just on the come up, right? They would do a superhero film. Now it's like, if you're hot in Hollywood, you're doing a superhero movie. Cashing That's what in. you're doing. You're cashing in. Exactly. You have Christian Bale doing it, Marshall Ali, Ethan Hawke, Oscar Isaac, all these big time uh, Hollywood actors and actresses. They're doing it now after like when their career's in their prime. So you have higher expectations of these performances and of these movies. And for me, like this just didn't hit. 
And it's a part of their legacy too. You know, it's a huge part Mm -hmm. of their legacy when they do these movies. It's not, it's so hard. You can't do a throwaway superhero movie anymore because that's what most mainstream audiences, that's what they're watching. And if they only know you from that, doesn't matter how many Oscars you've been nominated for. doesn't matter what movies or directors you work with. If the only movie you've done is Venom and you bomb in it, that's what you're remembered for. It's crazy. And like now we're getting superheroes like 2019 or villains. Joker wins an Oscar. You're saying Robert Pattinson is going to get nominated for an Oscar. Like that's just where we are right now. You're saying a Batman's going to get nominated for an Oscar. Stand by. That's insane. Yeah. I'm not saying this back away. I'm just saying like, those are the expectations we're setting. It's crazy. crazy. So this one where it doesn't take itself too seriously with all the, with the Venom voice that does all the, just comments from Venom and everything like that, all the campy moments. It's not taking itself seriously. You don't have to, but those just the expectations of us. Like maybe we have to, as an industry or as an audience, have to dial back or something. We can't get both. Here. Yeah, we're too serious. And then if we look at, it's crazy. Also, when I look at Twitter and I look mm-hmm. at the response to this movie, so it's it's crazy. It's like a superhero movie. You're always going to have people that have are loyal to the character, loyal to the studio, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Of course. So it's like. When you have like Venom 1, people love Venom, only 30% of Rotten Tomatoes. Here you have Rotten Tomatoes reaching a 60%. Discussing film is saying it's not as great of a movie, but it does have that 60%. Then you have people in the replies that I'm looking at, they are just going crazy saying it's a masterpiece. I'm like, dude, have we not lived in this universe where 23, 24, 25 Marvel projects have been made within the MCU? And then you compare what that, like the, even the middle mid-tier projects to what I just watched in Venom 2, it's not even comparable. Like it really isn't. Like when I, like if I even compare this to like an Ant-Man, like Ant-Man was just a better movie than mm-hmm. Venom 2. Venom 2 has the appealing characters. It has the actors I want to see more, but it, it didn't have, like Ant-Man had a story. Ant-Man gave back, background information, right? And it just had me more excited. And then it had the characters I was invested in compared to Venom, where I get to finally see Carnage. And all of a sudden, it doesn't look like I'm going to see him in a third movie. You know, it's just like, we, yeah. it's crazy. And then, like, that brings me up to my next question. If Tom Holland wasn't technically a part of this universe, do you think a third movie, could you, would you be interested in actually watching a third movie with Eddie Brock and no Tom Holland? So... I love Tom Hardy so and the Venom character itself. So I would see it. Would I be happy and be excited to see it? No. And even with this one, I was excited to see the Carnage and Venom aspect of it. But what was the driving force of me lugging myself to the movie theater to see it? it wasn't that. It was for the post-credit scene. <laughs> it was for the post-credit scene because I was so interested to see what is it going to be. Right. Tom Hardy saying, don't spoil it. Don't spoil the movie. Don't spoil the post credit scene he's saying. So the most exciting part of this movie is not even in the movie. That's a that's not good. That That's not good for a trilogy. Terrible. Like, it's not good whatsoever. Um, and it's just like, I, like it, I think the ending of this movie, we're about to get into spoilers. I'll, I'll give the audience a warning. But like this movie, if it didn't end a certain way, I don't know if I would see the third movie. I don't even know if I would. Like I like I wouldn't have be interested. I don't know what character you would bring in here unless they're meeting up with like a Morbius or a Vulture or another character from the Sony universe. If it's a, another Venom standalone, I don't have a desire to see it after watching this so, movie. I swear. Only uh, reason that brings me mm-hmm. to it is like this post credit, which we're about to get into. Yeah, and th- this question, I'm trying not to, like you can see the look in my face. I'm like trying not to say a spoiler, but it's not the post credit scene; it's the end of the movie. 
that I think is under the radar that no one's talking about that because of the post credit scene that pissed me off and is a reason why maybe I won't see a third uh, Venom movie without a Spider-Man. And yeah. we can get into that now before we get into, like a spoiler before post credit scenes. I know the post credit scene is huge. I'm thinking the same thing. So let's jump into spoilers now. Uh, let's give we'll give our scores first. Let's give our scores for the non-spoilers. Uh, do you want me to go first? Do you want to go first? You go first. I'll go after. So I initially thinking like a 46 after watching last night. I'm going to bump it up a little bit to a 48. I'm going to go 48 out of 100 for Venom 2. Um, obviously, I don't have a ton of great things to say other than like the fight sequences were sick. Like they were cool. I, I want it's all I wanted to see was Venom and Carnage on screen duking it out. Yes, we got him going in the like for the final battle. Um, I didn't like the romantic comedy aspect to the Venom character. I wish this movie, these movies had a little bit of a darker edge to them with such dark characters. And it, I really did. I think I enjoyed the first one more than this, uh, this sequel, although not a ton, ton more or, or like one where I'm like, okay, just like thinking it's that the first one's incredible, but I think it was better. So I'm going to stick with a 48 out of a hundred. I still love Tom Hardy. I just wish he was attached to a better franchise for uh, comic books. Yeah. Like, I think this movie is just not developed. It's rushed through a lot of like the plot lines here. And it was really like a rom-com between Venom and Hardy most of the time splashed in with the CGI fight fest and uh, visual effects. And there was really only one purpose of this movie. And it was to get to the final fight scene. And it really seemed to rush just to get there. But yeah. to say something good about this movie, it was a sequel with entertaining action sequences, right? A more personal approach with that rom-com aspect with a lot of humor, hit or miss, but a lot of humor. And then the final showdown, I thought was a success. I'm going to go 51, 51 out of a hundred. Um, I know we said a lot of bad things, but there are good aspects of this movie as well, specifically with the action sequences and the final showdown. Yeah. I just couldn't go over. I like over a five out of 10. Like I just, I it didn't, I, I just didn't, I just can't say I was having a great time watching it because mm-hmm. I mean, I expected so much more with these characters and I love them. I love them so much. And I feel like they're, Letting me down a bit with, uh, with the way they adapted Carnage. All right. So let's go to spoilers. Let's talk about the scene. Uh, so let's talk about the end of the movie, then we'll jump into post credit scene. Okay. So you, I think, I, I believe you're referring to like the hints at a third Venom movie with yes. Steven, Stephen Graham. Is that what you're yes. talking about? With That's him, what I am referring to. The cop that is adopted a symbiote looks like he's going to be a core part of the third movie or just in the Sony universe. So what is your beef with that aspect flicks? Okay. So obviously at the end, like Mulligan, like you see him, like he's alive and he has blue eyes. So like, this means like he's probably going to be toxin, right? That symbiote. That's the one they've talked about. Okay. So everyone's a symbiote. Right. So like, it's unclear like what happens, which I don't really like, but again, that makes sense, whatever. Like just because this movie doesn't make sense sometimes. But uh, I think that like, Bottom line here is that he's going to be the Venom 3 guy. Like, he is. And for me, that's a problem. I think it's a problem. All these characters are the same. Like, you, yes. Are the same. I think yes. But you kill Carnage to get to a Stephen, like Woody Harrelson, to get to Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham. Every time I'm watching, like, when I saw him in the screen, I, I forgot he was playing, like, in this movie and I got a big part of it. I don't take him seriously. He reminds me of Ike Barinholtz and Suicide Squad. I just can't take him seriously. Every time I see him, I think of that, or I think of Snatch and just being like Jason. Statham I liked him Pope. in The Irishman. 
Okay, true. He was good in the Irishman. But I just can't take him seriously. I can't. I just think I bear in the Suicide Squad. If you don't know who that is, he's just the security guard that helps Jared Leto. Just terrible character. Even though I like Ike Barinholtz, my guy, neighbors. But uh, terrible in that, blockers. But Stephen Graham's going to be going against Tom Hardy. Like, come on. Like, Woody Harrelson, Tom Hardy, same level. Tom Hardy, Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham. What are yeah. we doing? We're I don't downgrading think- here. I don't know if he'll be the main guy because I, I think uh, now that we're Toxin, talking about though. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I've never even heard of this guy. He's just like a Carnage offspring, basically. Like Spider Man. Like, so like Carnage is other, a... like I just like don't like how Spider Man doesn't just fight Spider Men. Like he doesn't fight. Like they, there's different types of villains. They face. If this guy is the, the lead character in the third Venom movie, he's faced three symbiotes. Give me that's somebody what, else. You can that's what I think it else. is, though. I think it is. Like Toxin's like a big character. Like yeah, obviously you have Venom. Offsprings Carnage, and then off, and then we get to uh, Dachshund. So I think that's what it is. And Stephen Graham's going to be it. I don't know. Like that doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. I know whatsoever. Terrible. I think it's but bad. Speaking of things that do are appealing, the part that really drove us to the theater to see this movie, other than the fact that we review it for a podcast, is Tom Holland making a appearance. We kind of predicted this, where it's. J. Jonah Jameson popping on the TV with the Daily Bugle segment, revealing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man from Mysterio in uh, Far From Home. And then we also have the suit we had right before that, the multiverse, like kind of, I think I have a feeling it's the Doctor Strange where he shakes everything up, right, with the spell that goes wrong. And all of a sudden, Venom is licking the screen, licking his chops to get to Spider-Man. So, Ricky Flex, I know we were kind of expecting this, right for uh, from this movie so when's the next when's the point we can assume that venom sees spider-man in person for the first time what movie what project so i don't i know people are saying no way home obviously you saw tom hardy with the production hat on with no way home so you might get him in that you might um i don't i just there's so many characters and villains in that. I really don't think that's going to be the case. And I, I said it earlier in the review, like Venom's such a great counterpart to Spider-Man. I feel like that would be a great one-on-one movie. Like Venom gets his own movie as the Spider-Man villain. And you could keep it within Sony. And Sony would preferably rather do that than bring him into MCU this quickly, especially as a cameo type role in Far From uh, No Way Home. So that's what I think will be the case. Um, kind of going in the Sony verse with a Craven, Morbius, and whatnot, but it's—that's that's just my opinion. Uh, I don't think No Way Home. What about you? So, I—it's uh, tough. It, like maybe they don't put him in. Like you talk about the separation from the MCU and Sony, but at the same time, I was talking to you afterwards. Like with this situation, they—you're gonna have to explain how Venom is coming in contact with Spider-Man now with these two like multiverses coming together. Like it's me, it's saying Venom has to be a part of the MCU now because how did the multiverse, how was it impacted? Doctor Strange did it with yeah, this it, spell. It, yeah, so like they're going to meet up and like, how is this possible? Well, Doctor Strange did it. So doesn't that make Venom a part of the MCU? So, okay. So my interpretation of the post credit scene was that Venom said that he didn't do it because obviously like what he was talking about saying like, oh, Eddie, I could show you like certain parts of like what I've been through in like the thousands of years I've been like whatever universes I've seen. So it wasn't Venom. He says that wasn't him. So it was either Doctor Strange or could it have been like from Loki 
in that initial Kang the Conqueror. Yeah, could it have been from that? So I don't think it's a definite because I think what we saw was like obviously like what we saw was after Far From Home, like we saw that the J. Jonah Jameson thing, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean Doctor Strange, uh, Far uh, No Way Home implications are in it. I don't think that's a guarantee. So I still think there's some leeway there where it's not necessarily that. Either oh, way, either way, they're acknowledging events that have happened in the MCU. Yes, yes. Either way, I think Venom will be a part of the MCU. Just will it be the first time in No Way Home? I don't know about that. I, I but so, but is Toxin and so is Spider-Man going to go against Venom in Venom? I guess it will just be a Spider-Man sequel. It won't even be like Venom three. So you're saying like. Toxin is just going to be saved for like a Venom solo movie and not when Venom is going to be matched up with Spider-Man because it gets a little confusing here because Venom's yeah. going to Venom. The perspective of Venom is about to change drastically. He's a very likable character right now. When he goes against Spider-Man, man, like you're changing his narrative a little bit um, with audiences. Is he now going to be viewed as as a evil villain or is he going to be viewed as someone of uh, like you, uh, you, you understand his motives, you empathize mm-hmm. with him. You're like, okay, you like this character so much. I can't wait to see how this is going to come to a head because I don't think we've seen this before with like a major movie superhero villain where it's like you build them up to really enjoy them in terms of a comic book villain. And then they go against right. A superhero, like name another project where that's happened. Like Loki, he wasn't likable before Thor. Yes, he becomes someone that you root for afterwards. But like, mm-hmm. this is the first time they're meeting. Do you understand what I'm saying there? I think so. I, I think so. I think just going back to the whole, the big issue here, or the big question is, yes, I do think this acknowledges Venom going, like being a part of the MCU. Right. I, I do think that it's being a part of an MCU character. And obviously you could make the argument that, Spider-Man, this Spider-Man like could also just be in the Sony universe, just do both. I do think it acknowledges that because these events were in Far From Home. I just don't know. Like, I'm just not sure. I really don't. I, I thought we were going to get more something more concrete, but this just leaves the door open. I guess it's the whole point of a post credit scene is to talk about it and get your theories out and make your like everyone really excited for the next movie, next project going forward. Yeah, I just don't know how they're going to explain it. And I have a hard time picturing small little Tom Hardy in going against Venom. I have a hard time picturing that. And I can only imagine the banter in those fight scenes, how much talking (laughs) they're going to be doing between Tom Holland, who loves to talk, and then you have Venom, who loves to talk, going against one another. So it could be entertaining, or it could be make my head want to explode. You know, it could be one or the other. But again, like the one because Spider-Man, Spider-Man, right? And is a bigger character than Venom, even though it made $800 billion. Like Spider-Man Tom Holland is much bigger. Like, I think it would actually play to like our hands as audience members that don't necessarily love everything that comes out of Venom's mouth. At least for me, I'll speak for myself there. I do think he's funny. I'm just saying, like, it could play a hand where more talking will go towards the Spider-Man side, and maybe we only get the good things coming out of Venom's during these fight sequences in a Venom versus Spider-Man movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I, Tom Hardy could play off anybody, so I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not concerned about it. I'm just more concerned about like who's directing this film. Is it going to be like an MCU related project? How much will Kevin Feige have his hands on this project? Because he's a trustworthy 
creator, project showrunner, mm-hmm. like right movie runner, like like producer. But he knows what he's doing with these like characters. I mean, he predates the MCU with like working on the X Men movies as a producer. Like he so, understands he understands beyond just the characters that are in his hands, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I would trust him like producing this movie. And I know Sony does consult him with a lot of their projects. So hopefully they did they choose to do the same when this meet, eventual meeting occurs. So at the end of the day, Dr. O, are you saying Venom will be or will not be in No Way Home? Yes or no? Post-credit scene, No Way Home. Post-credit scene, No Way Home. Just yeah. because it's technically, so this is where it just, this is where it gets confusing because it is a Sony movie. And mm-hmm. if they do a Venom post-credit, that's acknowledging him, I think, in both the MCU and Sony. That's both, right? So Tom Holland is acknowledged in a Sony movie, right? Such as Venom 2. It's still just Sony. But once you start to have a movie that's a collaboration with Marvel Studios, right? With Kevin Feige, and you include Venom, he's in the universe. Okay. Right? So is it likely? I don't know. I think it'd be more likely he doesn't even show up. But if he's, I I think he shows up in a a post-credit based on what I just watched in Venom. Okay, so I guess just one last thing I'll say, maybe just you can help me clarify this or if our audience members might be thinking the same thing. So in this post credit scene, right? They're in one room, like a cheap hotel room near the beach, right? And then like obviously what happens is they change into a nicer hotel room, clearly not their hotel room and they're watching the TV. So Dr. Rowe, just for my, to clear things up here, they were in the Sony-verse or just a different Venom verse universe, just a different universe. And then it was either the Doctor Strange or uh, King the Conqueror event. Now and they, they jump to the MCU and like now they're in the MCU, the yeah. Marvel universe. So now they are in the Marvel universe. That's what I think. That's what I think. But okay. like, it has That's what to I, be. Because it makes sense with the guy coming in. They have to acknowledge how it happened. Like they can't just say, oh, they're in a different universe now. They have to acknowledge where they are and how they got there and how they got there has got to be either two non Sony characters, whether it be Kang or Dr. Strange. Mm-hmm. So I think he's in the MCU. Yeah. And again, this brings up confusion again, because we have a Morbius getting his own Sony movie, which Vulture Michael Keaton will be in, who's a clearly a Marvel character. So it's like that is already in the Marvel universe then. That movie, technically, if you have a Marvel uh, uni- like character in it, a no, universe character. No, no, no. Why it, not? Because he debuted in a Sony movie. He didn't debut in any other Marvel project. You know what I mean? So he was in. No. He only, he, Michael Keaton only appeared in Homecoming. He never right. appeared in another MCU project. Homecoming was a combination. as an MCU film, but also a Sony film. So he yes. can appear in the Sony universe because he's in a Sony movie. It's a Spider-Man but, movie. I just don't get like Homecoming, Iron Man's in it. Like there's a lot of MCU implications. So you're saying that to look for Morbius, obviously you have but to look back to Homecoming because Vulture's in this and you have to look back to Homecoming, Vulture's character. So you're saying when I'm watching Morpheus, Morbius, I have to think of Homecoming as a Sony movie and forget the Marvel implications. <laughs> That's what you're telling me. Just to be clear, yeah, for the audience members that are with me, here. no, no, no. So, you don't have to, you don't forget what Michael Keaton did, no, no, right? But forget about all the Marvel implications, forget about he was trying to steal Captain America's shield, he was trying to steal Iron Man's suit, like as in Vulture, 
he was trying to steal Marvel Universe Universe this projects. Is where it gets, they, they will never bring it up unless they're it's, in the MCU now. It makes now. no unless sense they're, unless they're officially in the MCU now. Okay, because of I'm, the shake. But you see what my issue is because yes. Vulture is connected to the Marvel Universe because he's trying. He's on Tony Stark's or the Avengers plane. He has beef with Tony Stark. Yeah, and like his initial job, his construction job before he gets laid off or whatever, is to work on the Avengers New York uh, 2012 right. uh, events. So it just is killing me, Doctor. But that's a it's collaboration, though. It's a collaboration between the two, so they can mention everything. But it's acknowledging so Loki, like, Sony, like Thor Michael exists. Vulture. Michael Vulture. I doubt when he goes to Morbius, would be like, "Yes, I hate that guy, Tony Stark," or "I have this beef with Tony Stark," or they won't. He won't bring up Captain America. He won't bring up anything else just because he can't. Unless the events of what happened in Venom is the indication that has now to. part of the MCU. Well, Morbius was supposed to come before Venom. Let's like this movie. Yes, if we remember. So beginning of next year, unless there's edits done or whatever production edits or. New... Are you pumped for Morbius? Well, I'm more pumped. To... <sighs> I'm kind of pumped because it's a darker edge. You got Jared Leto on the Redemption tour in terms of comic. House of Gucci films. coming up. House he of gets Gucci. momentum for him. I mean, he I, I didn't mind him in the little things. I thought, I thought he was actually good in the little things. So I'm, I'm excited to see where he's going to go from here. Like the redemption story, though. The redemption story is what I'm looking it's, for. It's going to be an event. Like, I'm definitely going to see it because it's similar to Venom here. Like Tom Hardy. I do love Jared Leto, even though it's hit or miss with him. Like, I do love Jared Leto. And I think the character Morbius from the, at least the Spider-Man animated series. Very interesting. Badass very compelling. Character. Badass, like you said. Like I think this has potential, and uh, I forget his name, but um, like the um, the guy from uh, the HBO series Chernobyl, he won the award. Jared Harris, thank you. He's in it. Obviously, Michael Keaton's in it as Vulture. So the MCU implications, like, will there be any now? I don't after this post credit scene. I don't know. Just have, have to wait and see, I guess. We'll have to wait and see. And Sorry, I, did, I had to like clear that up because like I'm still confused, and now yeah, I'm like I, I wouldn't be surprised confused. if so many people would just like skip ahead to our next review or just skip to the end of the podcast yeah. because that was so hard to like kind of decipher there. But that just shows that we are with you. We are with you. How hard this is to decipher. But let's just pray that Tom Hardy meets with Tom Holland in a world that is connected to the MCU. Fingers crossed. That's going to do it for our review of Venom. Let there be carnage. We will now. Move on to our review of The Many Saints of Newark. All right, boys, the time has come. I got my Italian colors on. I had them on last week. The Many Saints of Newark. My goodness gracious, prequel to The Sopranos. I'm going to give you the Rotten Tomatoes. I'm going to give you the IMDb. I'm going to give you the audience score. And then we are about to dive deep into this highly anticipated film. So, Rotten Tomatoes has this currently at a 75% with a 59% audience score. It currently has a 6.6 out of 10 with 16,000 ratings. So we know this story. It's focused on Dickie Moltisanti, right? During the race riots in New Jersey, the Newark race riots of 1967, the rise of the the Mayo crime family, right? Uh, I think where we should start, boys, I think we kind of hyped this up last episode with our expectations, what we were uh, looking forward to most, characters we wanted to see. Did you guys think it lived up to the hype? Ness, kick us off. Um, <clears throat> I think yes and no. I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was entertaining. It was really, there was a lot, a lot of fan service, but I think we were expecting that. Um, and I think I like, 
looking at it as just a movie, it's just like it's okay. I'd say it's just an okay movie, but as a Sopranos fan, it's like pretty, you know, entertaining and, and nice to see. I think the movie overall is like it's like it it was okay. Like I like I said, there wasn't that. It was just like a long episode of The Sopranos, and it was like a prequel episode. So um, I I enjoyed it, but I'm just saying like the movie itself was like a little shaky at times. Um, I will say though that the ending really kind of really got me like that. Mm. I, I really love that. And we, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. When we get to spoilers for sure. Ricky Flex, you'll live up to the hype. No, it did not. It did not. It definitely had fan service. Like Nez said um, that I thought I was going to like, and there's some I did, but then some I just thought was over the top. And it's like some direct lines from the show, like literally one for one, where you think that like you might get a like I did get a chuckle or two, but then at the end it's like oh like they didn't have to do that. There's a couple like a few more than a couple things. There's just like they clearly did it for the fans, but it was like you didn't have to do that. And just to come in for someone that's watched Sopranos three times now and going on four, it's just like you didn't have to do that. I think there's a lot of that in this movie. And just all in all, I agree with Ness just as a movie in itself. I don't think it was great. It's not, it wasn't bad. Just I don't think it was that great. Interesting. So I must say, I watched it for the second time um, last night after the Pats box game. And I did like it more the second time I watched it. Um, I think as a movie, it was solid. I'm not, I don't think it was bad. I think it was solid. It was good, not great. In, for a Sopranos fan, I think it was also good, not great. So I think the the main flaw of this movie is that you have Sopranos fans that were looking forward to this for so long, right? They wanted to see the return of these characters. There's a deep devotion for it. But you get limited screen time with a lot of these characters that you adore. And then also, if you've never seen the Sopranos, you don't get a lot of the references that are mentioned mm-hmm. in this movie. So you're like exactly. if if you're you're like right in between. And that's why I think I agree with you guys. It's a solid movie but if you're not in that crowd if you don't know paulie walnuts you can't enjoy the moments with him as much you're, and like, especially with guys like paulie walnuts and silvio dante at times you feel like you're watching an snl skit by right. the way they They're look impersonators. by the way they yeah. talk yeah and, then, and if you know them you're like yes what a great impersonation because you know steven van sand is going to go way over the top Right. So you have to play mm-hmm. that character way over the top. But if you're just looking for great acting, you're like, what the hell am I watching right now? Is this a joke? You know? So I, I think we're mm-hmm. go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I agree with you. I feel like that when you're watching the Sopranos and you're watching mm-hmm. Silvio uh, do his bits, like he knows it's funny, but like he's like being the character in this one. Like every time it's Silvio doing it, like the impersonator, you feel like, He's just doing it to try to be like Silvio. It's not a part of his character. He's trying to make the audience laugh. And that's where I think like the skit aspect, the SNL that you mentioned, that's where it comes apart. Or like with Pauly, mm-hmm. when he's like saying, that's my coat. I didn't actually, or, I, I just got this new coat or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the hand mannerisms, I thought it was just so forced, unlike regular mannerisms that you saw like with a Michael Gandolfini playing a young Tony. I thought those were more, a lot more natural. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's where like, I guess some similar to what I was saying before where like the fan service balance with actual good movie and good acting, it just didn't balance out what I would like to see. I'm just really glad I made that pledge to watch the Sopranos before this movie came out, because if I did not watch the Sopranos, I would have had a horrible time watching that today. 
Cause I was just like, I don't know what this, like, I, I just didn't know what I wouldn't have known what was going on, but because I watched the Sopranos, obviously I picked up on everything. Um, how do you guys think uh, Michael Gandolfini did? Yeah. So that was going to be my next question. I think he was one of the better performances of the movie. I think David Chase and Alan Taylor, the director did a great job of not overexposing him because mm. I, it was so smart. I know Nez, you brought it up last episode, Dickie Moltisanti to be this character, Sopranos fans like only heard of is like a myth, myth, mythological figure from the show. Tony, we know everything about, and we can almost like uh, kind of guess how he's going to act, or just we assume mm-hmm. we know how he's going to act. Like Dickie Moltisanti brought something like on some unpredictability, but mm-hmm. Tony Soprano less screen time. I think he he wasn't trying to impersonate his father, especially because the age gap is so extreme between an older mm-hmm. Tony Soprano, a mob boss, and then a teenage Tony, Tony Soprano. And it's, it was cool to kind of watch that development, him go to that darker side, his inf- uh, influence that Dickie had on him. I mm-hmm. thought he was spectacular. Not, uh, sorry, that's a little too much. I thought he was really, really good. And I think that mm-hmm. uh, I would like to see him in another project for sure. Yeah, I think at times him trying to kind of sound like Tony, he didn't try too, too hard to sound just like him. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was good. And I thought, yeah, I thought he think, I, I think he did a really good job. Um, I also really like how they had Christopher as the narrator that mm. I thought that was very cool that they had, that they had that. See, Interesting. that's another thing I didn't like. I thought it was cool. I so I agree with you on that, but I didn't like it. I, I thought it was odd. They used them three times once in the beginning which, okay, if you're going to use uh, narration, okay, it's a little lazy way of writing, but sure, I trust you, David Chase, never used in the show either, narration never used in the show. They used in the middle of the movie for a side comment, like that's the guy that whacked me, like Tony Soprano at a funeral, and then they used it at the end. So I just thought it was very odd just the way that they utilized narration as it wasn't consistent, and then they just threw it in the middle for no reason whatsoever. So it was nice to hear his voice, and it was just like if you watched Sopranos, it's like, ah, oh, that makes sense. But mm-hmm. other than that, as a movie, it didn't really make much sense. 100% fan service, though. It was 100% fan service, where it's like you don't anticipate anyone from the from the actual series to really make an appearance. You hear Michael Imperioli's voice, and it's such an iconic voice, too. Christopher yeah. speaks in a very distinct way. And I, I guess the a voiceover narration is another way to kind of separate it from the show, because David Chase was a, a proponent, and he kept saying, I listened to an interview with him earlier in the week, he wanted this movie to just strictly be in theaters. And it's kind of sad that this movie ended up, you know, guys, you guys know how much it made at the box office this past weekend? Five million. Five million. A Sopranos prequel only made five million at the box office. Well, and it, mm. it was relegated to HBO Max. And I, I kind of hate that HBO Max, like, stripped that from David Chase. Like, the one time he's going to make a movie about the, the Sopranos, this mm. happens. You know well, what I mean? It's just that it's tough also with that. We're, we're in this pandemic environment, obviously, it makes it more difficult, but like so many people have seen the Sopranos, but they all, it's a, it was a TV show. So they all saw it on the TV. So they're just saying, Oh, might as well watch the Sopranos movie on a TV. Cause I can, it just made too much sense to do that. I know I did. True. That. I love movie theaters, but I did that. So did I shame, <laughs> shame. shame, 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 big time. Uh, let's go into some other performances here. Uh, I know we let's talk about Dickie Moltisanti because we brought him up earlier. How did you think Alessandro Nafolo did as the lead character here, Nez? Um, I thought he was good. Um, he doesn't give me like menacing boss vibes. I, I don't know. He it wasn't. It didn't remind me of Tony. And I was gonna. Th- I was thinking that the same thing about. Uh, 
about Michael during the movie, but then I saw that last shot of him and I think it kind of made up for it. It's like, okay, so this person was created. He was no like that, which I think is interesting. But yeah, I don't know. He he didn't really, I'm like, I guess scare me the way Tony did. He didn't, I, he didn't really like look like he was completely in control of everybody like the way Tony did, but apparently he did good. It, it was just a little interesting, but um, I, I don't think he did a terrible job, but he just didn't like, it's hard when you're, I mean, you're comparing somebody to uh, James Gandolfini, right? So like that, that's, uh, that's at least what I did. And he's like, James Gandolfini is one of the best actors, like was, was one of the best actors. Like he did amazing. He would steal the scene. He would capture you know, the intensity of it. Um, and so I guess when comparing to him, he, he obviously loses and it's, it's not really fair to him, but um, I think he did all right. It just, it just didn't, uh, I don't think he was, you know, that powerful, much of a presence on the okay. screen. Interesting. Flex, you agree? I think he was just in a different way. I think that Tony Soprano, like physical presence, like he's going to intimidate you and scare you just based on his physical presence alone mm-hmm. and then his anger. I think Dickie mm-hmm. Moltisanti was just respected. He was a respected mm-hmm. leader. Everyone looked up to him. Everyone went to him for advice, even at the, I'm not going to spoil anything. Not going to say it. <laughs> You're close. But, uh, but like they went a, a lot of the uh, like the captains went to him like they mm-hmm. they all went to him and they respected his his, his uh, decisions throughout the movie and a lot of people and uh, I'm trying not to do anything about spoilers but at the end of the day like he wasn't the madman that the the heated Tony Soprano with the physical presence but he's just a well respected leader and I think that it's a different type of presence but it was still like a major presence, not on the audience, like a, a James Gandolfini, which I agree with you with uh, Nez, but just on his uh, the other characters. I thought personally he was, I, he was pretty good. Like I, I think he was decent because he is that respected guy to so many people. People look up to him. He's a role model to Tony, right? And he sticks up for his stepmom at the time, but he has an underlying darkness to him that really surfaced at the end of the movie. And it really built up. Mm-hmm. And he has that like classic Moltisanti like temper, you know, that kind of like also, show, it also like shine through at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like he had that sense of unpredictability. Yes. He seems like the nicest guy in the world right now. He's a family man. He loves Tony, his nephew, but he's not afraid to whack somebody, you know, he's yeah, not afraid multiple. to whack somebody. Yeah. And uh, he, and he, you, uh, Nez, you compared him to Tony here. I think that's a great comparison, even though they're not the exact same level in terms of like where they're standing within the mob, because a lot of like you have almost parallels where Tony talks to Dr. Melfi, you have mm-hmm. uh, Dickie Moltisanti talking to Ray Liotta's character, mm-hmm. okay, and almost using him as like someone to lean on, someone to profess to. And I thought like that was like a callback to the show. And I thought those are some of the most powerful scenes of the movie. And I think Ray Liotta did a pretty good job here too. We're going to get into some spoilers later. Cause I think there's some very, something very obvious we have to talk about with Ray Liotta that took me by surprise and probably mm-hmm. did you guys, you guys as well. But uh, any other supporting characters you guys think stood out um, alongside Navolo and Michael Gandolfini? I, uh, I liked Vera Farmiga. I thought she was very good. I thought, like it was clear that she was a good Olivia. Like obviously, it's hard to live up to the prior mm-hmm. Olivia, but for a young uh, Olivia Soprano, I thought she nailed it. I honestly poor she you. Was. That <laughs> was the only thing I didn't like because that was just thrown in at the end after Overt. she was leaving the room. Exactly, that was the only like line I didn't like. But 
Um, I'll save what I had the rest of what I had to say for in spoilers because there's something at the end that she said that was just so perfectly Livia Soprano and really just captured the whole performance right there. Mm-hmm. I liked um, the Italian woman. I thought she was an interesting like component to the story. Mm-hmm. The Gumar. The Gumar. Yeah. Was, yeah. So like that was an interesting facet to the story. Um, that also goes and uh, the and it goes into her narrative. Also, she want like uh she had an interesting like arc to kind of look through and like just her character development from like when she comes off the boat with Ray Liotta and then eventually where she ends up in this story. It's kind of messed up. It is messed yeah, up. Stuff. Like this story is like extremely, and it ends with uh, like obviously, um, disaster. Like it, like that's all I'll say. I just, I guess that's kind of a spoiler, but I'll try. Ah, crap for who? <laughs> disaster. Uh, yeah, for, for who? who? And it, yes, exactly. That's how I'll phrase it. But it was interesting to see like the narrative that it, I think one of the flaws of this movie it tried to put so many narratives into one movie, only 120 minutes and her character, like she wanted her own business. Okay. And she wanted Dickie to back the business and let her have autonomy over it. And then you had mm-hmm. all these other stories too. You had the race riots that you have Michael being uh Dickie being the mentor to Michael. There's just so much going on. And I think we didn't get to explore her enough, to be honest. And that's why I think mm-hmm. this like movie would have been just amazing as a miniseries. It just should have been a miniseries. Yeah. I think there was mm-hmm. so much to explore. So many characters we didn't get enough screen time with. Like I think it would have been rewarding to have that. And David Chase is so good at those type of series, long narratives. So what do you guys mm-hmm. think? You guys, are you guys in favor of like a miniseries over the movie or thoughts there? Easily. Just uh, I know David Chase in interviews said he didn't want to do any more series. Uh, and mm. so I, I don't think it's possible, but definitely something that I would have liked. And I agree with you. There's so many different narratives here. And like, there's some that I liked, some that I didn't, or they could have been improved upon. Uh, may, but uh, I, I, at the end of the day, like with a series, you could have, you could venture off and do separate episodes based on those different narratives here. You have two hours to try to cram them all in to connect it to one plot. And it was just difficult. And it was, I thought that was clear. Interesting. Um, I also want to commend another part of the movie. Like the second time I watched it, I, like, I had more of an appreciation of it. I feel like the first time I was watching it, I was just like, okay, when is Uncle Junior going to say he didn't have the makings of a varsity athlete? When, it, when is like Silvio going to like do the face? When is, or is, when is he going to do the mannerism? When's Paul, yeah. When Polly Walnuts going to do the mannerisms? Second time I watched it, I'm like, let's just focus on whether this is a good movie. And straight up, cinematography in this movie was spectacular. It's mm-hmm. really it was good. good. It looked awesome on screen. I would say it looked better than the Sopranos looks on TV. Obviously, it's the cinema. It's different, but it looks so much better. It captures the time period so well in the late 60s, early 70s. And then moving on from that, David Chase, what does he do so well, including the TV show? Music, score. So good in this movie, in my opinion. Uh, The Van Morrison scene uh, where they're in the car. It's Dickie and his Gumar. The romantic like afternoon they have together, the song playing, it was strong Sopranos vibes and also just mm-hmm. great movie vibes. It was like it was a perfect song. I even Shazam the song because it was it just it was in my head and I'm just whenever I hear that I'm gonna think of that scene, uh, which is kind of a good and bad thing. Now that was my favorite it. song, uh, favorite song of the movie. It hit really well and like there's a rare there's a rare time in this movie where someone's talking there's not music in the background and I love that. Right. And there's always distinct mm-hmm. movie cho- mm-hmm. music choices made by David Chase. So uh, and what yeah. other aspects? Yeah, you yeah, knew that was to... coming. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say you knew that was coming, though, with the way that they did it in Sopranos. The music mm-hmm. was always perfectly selected. Yeah. Big time. That's a job uh, that I want. I want 
to be the person that picks music for movie scenes because I have some ideas. I have some ideas. Music supervisor. That's a, I think that's the title. Literally. Yeah. Advisor. I, I want to be the music supervisor. I already have one. You want to hear one of my ideas? Yes. Uh, a, a, a fight scene choreographed to the Trans-Siberian Orchestra Christmas song. That's like really intense. Yes. That'd be epic. Like John Wick 4 during Christmas. Yeah. That'd be crazy. That'd be awesome. <laughs> great, great to see live, by the way. If you haven't seen Trans Siberian Orchestra, I'll, I'll 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 put that out there too. All right. <laughs> um, any other aspects you guys enjoyed? Anything you want to touch upon? I think what we also what stuck out in my mind is Ricky Flex brought it up, is the callbacks to the series. I thought they didn't flow as well in this movie. I like some subtlety to those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys think it was too overt? Do you think it was just what the David Chase needed to do? Or what, what, what do you think about like the balance of those callbacks? I think it was just really overt. And I think the prime example is with Pussy. Pussy, that scene was just cringy. Like it was just so forced, like because the priest sitting at the table and they like went on for 30 seconds about his name and how he like saying, oh, don't worry about it. And then they just like have a long, awkward silence. It was just like, you didn't even have to do that. I think the actor slayed it, though. I, the, the guy who played Pussy was good. Like, I think yeah. he had the swag to it. He didn't have many lines, but I think mm-hmm. he just, like, he 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 was, he, I, I just, imagine him as Pussy. Like, yeah, he's, yeah. Is that the guy? Is that the guy that's on Joe Rogan's podcast all the time? I don't know. I know it's an inexperienced actor, young dude. Hmm. But, is he? But I, all right, if we go to that, I think that was one of the ones where I was like, that's less of an impersonation, more just acting. Yes, yes. That's why I think it was good. Which is shocking from someone that less experienced. Like we have the Gandolfini character, uh, Michael Gandolfini playing his father. Uh, not great, not a lot of experience, but I thought he did well. But with someone like Billy Magnuson and uh, the guy who played Sylvia with a John lot of, Yeah, who was who's, was in Cow and a lot of big time movies, The Big Short. And I just thought they were impersonations. So I thought that I think that says something. Right. Yeah, he looked I, nothing. It was Joey Diaz. Yeah, it was him. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't. Joey Diaz uh, is a guy. Uh, I don't guy. think Joey Diaz was in any of mention, any mention of the show. I think he was a new character, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think that was right. Um, but I, I think I also let's just bring up Silvio and Polly Walnuts because those are the two two of the three characters we drafted in our Sopranos draft. And I think we were hoping for a lot more screen time than that was given to them. Um, were you guys disappointed by that? Were you expecting that? Um what like and honestly, do you think Billy Magnuson lived up to Polly Walnuts and Tony uh, uh, Siriaco? I think with the over actions and callbacks there to the show with those characters was they were trying to like minimize like with the minimized screen time. They used that minimized screen time to make sure you remembered them. So with those callbacks, and I rather just have them be in it more with just more natural, like you said, flow of the movie. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I um I don't know. I, I was a fan of them. I, I honestly thought it was really like the guy that played Silvio looked nothing like him, but I thought it was hilarious. Like his like impersonation of him was the toupee was really good. Um yeah, I didn't even realize it was a toupee the whole time. Well, no, he was toupee at the end. Like the No, the... I know, but like in the series, that was supposed to be a toupee. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I just thought he had really nice hair. <laughs> that that'd be unbelievable hair if it was naturally like that. <laughs> And I don't 
and I don't mean to rag on Sylvia in this movie. I thought the last scene with him, I thought was good. That was, I thought that was good acting. So I will say that the ones that wasn't impersonation, like that was good. I feel mm-hmm. like we're I feel like we're holding back a little bit. So we'll, like we're gonna jump into spoilers in a sec, but I think we should go to the, our scores just so the non spoilers can hear it too. Um, so Ricky Flex, what did you give the Many Saints of Newark? Solid movie, sixty six. Nez. 77. Wow. Uh, I gave a 70. 70 from Dr. O. So that, that's, those are our scores. Uh, you said 77 from Nez, 66 from Ricky Flex, 70 from Dr. O. Let's now move on to spoilers and get to the juicy parts of The Many Saints of Newark. All right. Spoiler territory, right? You've been warned. If you haven't seen The Many Saints of Newark, I don't know what you were doing all weekend or even tonight, Monday night. So I think the first thing we need to bring up is the beginning of the movie. You know, Ray Liotta is going to be in this movie. You know, from the Mm -hmm. trailers, he's introduced. He is Dickie's father. He brings home this Italian wife. And then within the first 15 minutes of the movie, Ray Liotta gets his head smashed by his son. (laughs) And at that moment, I was like, what? the hell is going on are they tricking us in this trailer right you even had the black crow if you guys notice that yeah the, uh, yeah you had the black crow the multisanti crow there right so did you guys see Bradley Oda having a second role in this movie as well, his own brother well i thought what i thought was one role i think that was obvious yeah but i thought he was just going to go to prison for something based <laughs> on the trailer like obviously he's in a prison saying he murdered mm-hmm. somebody right. so i was expecting when he gets off the boat, oh, he's going to murder somebody. You get like call back to a prior case and go to jail and then whatever. Nope. He has a twin brother. Like makes sense. I, I low key laughed when I saw him walk yeah. out after. <laughs> I was like a little died. confused. Yeah. <laughs> I just started laughing. I'm like, no way they're doing this. No way they're doing this. I feel like they could have like had another like famous, like Goodfellas level, maybe like actor do that like a favorite famous mob like starks that's what they were doing with leota callback to goodfellas huge inspiration for the sopranos and i think that would have been awesome but leota kind of slayed it there in my opinion i think he was a great like uh, a la dr melfi it was interesting because the first 15 minutes it was like henry hill like exuberant henry hill but then the other half is just a laugh uh, yeah with the laugh and everything and the yelling and abuse a <laughs> woman abuse like clearly but uh oh my god yeah push her down the stairs like come on now but then the second half was just a monotone ray liotta that i thought did very well mm-hmm. agreed 100 percent. and i think we also have to talk about the decision making of dicky multisanti as gumar ends up becoming his former stepmom <laughs> What the hell are we doing here? That was crazy. And yeah, that just shows crazy. and it shows like the extreme family dynamics, I guess, of the Sopranos. But that is just a non that's on, that's on another level. That's, that's on another level. I like I was I was when she kissed him for the first time, I was like, oh, boy, this is going to become a thing. Yeah, and I thought he was just going to start cheating. I thought she was going to start cheating on Ray Liotta, but he died. So, <laughs> like, oh, my God, kind of clears the path there. The messed up storyline, mess, messed up storyline yeah. with a messed up show. And then we also, if we're going to talk about that whole storyline, we have to talk about the death of his Gumar, right? Yeah. After the Van Morrison I was going to say, trip. which one? Yeah. So after, yes. Yeah, so More like, like a suicide. Man. 
Yeah. So yeah, sort of. Yeah. So after this romantic evening, right. And we also didn't talk enough about the uh, Leslie Odom Jr. Aspect of this movie. I guess we'll talk about that in a bit, but after this romantic afternoon and evening, late uh, walking on the beach, Skumar admits to uh, Dickie Moltisanti that she uh, had sex with Harold, who is the rival, like the former yeah, compadre, right? He's the enemy, former friend of Dickie Moltisanti. And then he snaps, absolutely snaps. And I thought he was truly menacing in that scene. And I mean, this is like, it almost felt like this is what Christopher came so close to doing to Adriana, but his dad actually pulled the trigger. I was getting flashbacks to Adriana mm-hmm. in my head. How about you boys? Definitely crossed my mind. I actually didn't, didn't even put that together, but yeah, that makes sense. Really? I was thinking of, dude, when uh, Adriana admits, it, like, it's, once again, a reveal by a loved one to a multisanti saying, hey, I am, I have been talking with the FBI and he nearly kills mm-hmm. her. And I kept thinking mm-hmm. in my head, he's going to strangle her to death, just like Christopher wanted to do to Adriana. Right. That's kind of the parallels I was thinking of the entire time. But uh, yeah, so uh, this guy was a complete psycho, a complete psychopath. And it was just interesting to see his dynamic with Tony looking to be a mentor to Tony. And at the same time, killing these people on the side. Absolutely well, yeah, and, wild card. And that's where the Ray Liotta character comes in to make him realize you're a psychopath. You should not be a mentor to anybody. And that's. And do, do, do you think Ray Liotta's character knew the entire time he killed both people? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Why else would he like say, oh, my brother never touched a tool and you're telling me he was in there and burned down and then mentioning the other thing. So like he clearly alluded to saying you murdered those people. You should not be mentoring Tony Soprano. Right. Yes. And, and then like when he talks about his goom, his Gumar, he goes, uh, he goes, uh, what do you say? He said, uh, you have a lot of tragedy surrounding your life. And a lot of times I think he's referring to you bring the tragedy on yourself because yeah. of your temper, like, cause you are an angry person and you just let loose. I think also we need to talk about the twist at the end of the movie, because that is something I didn't necessarily see coming. I'm not mm-hmm. too shocked about it. Do you guys? So spoiler territory, Ju- Uncle Junior is the one responsible for the hit on Dickie Moltisanti, and it's not Harold that puts it on him, Leslie Odom Jr.'s character. Yeah. Do you guys think that was an okay decision by Chase? Were you comfortable with it? Nez, kick us yeah. off. Yeah, 100%. Interesting. Um, I mean, when you think about think about season one Junior and how, like, uh, you know, uh, Tony's talking about how he's just a giant pain in the in the butt and like how he's always messing things up for him and like doing like stupid stuff or like being selfish. Like it fits the character. He's exact. That's 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 something totally something Junior would do calling it because, you know, he's insulted by some guy because he laughed at him when he fell. Um, and there's 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 beef before that. So I absolutely um, I'm OK with with that um you know him being responsible and then you know it just shows how tony was how he um you know was trying to protect christopher and and well actually i guess he didn't know no but he, he made up a story basically mm-hmm. about how christopher's uh dad died and um to get him it's, gonna back be so, it's gonna be so weird to look focused. back on that when you rewatch it show yeah so I, and then so who's the cop there's a episode where where tony tells Christopher, the right. name of the cop that killed his dad, allegedly. Who is that cop? Is that just somebody they need to get rid of? Like, 
I got to rewatch that yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. So like, it was just an easy cop out because Christopher at the time was like messed up, and Tony needs him to be focused and mm-hmm. needs him to, you know, do his dues. Right, as a made man, he's got to put in that. He's got to start earning again and start earning mm-hmm. big time. He's still flug in flux with drugs, alcohol, uh, abuse, and confliction. Adriana's death. He's just in a weird state, and he's like, you got to focus up. And to his dedication, he picks out like. Watching the show, I thought it was definitely that guy did not murder uh, Christopher's dad. I don't know about you guys, but I thought that was for sure not a possibility. Yeah, I didn't think so either. But uh, yeah, it was, I was just I, was I thought it was sure, advice yeah. for Tony to get Christopher back on track for the for the group. But as a motivational technique, right? Exactly. But regarding this, but regarding this storyline in the movie, I did not see it coming. But it makes total sense, not because of just who uh, I think. Nez, you're absolutely spot on. Junior Soprano definitely would do this from the show if we're talking about the same character, which we are. But in just in the movie, it makes total sense. Why would they be referencing uh, Corrado so much throughout the movie? Like him driving John Bernthal, Junior, uh, big uh, Johnny Boy Soprano home from prison and getting made fun of from Earth, saying you're not you're like less of a man and you're older than me by letting these people move into the street or slipping on the at the funeral outside the church and Dickie Moltisanti's laughing at him. There's too many Corrado moments in this movie to him not have a major aspect at the end. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was thinking this the second time I watched it. So the first time I thought maybe this twist wasn't earned where it's like, maybe they didn't have that strong antagonistic relationship for this antagonistic feeling mm-hmm. Corrado has for Dickie. But after rewatching it, even when they go to dinner, right. They're at the club and mm-hmm. then uh, uh, Dickie uh, says that, uh, Corrado's girl is basically cheating on him, yes. having sex with somebody else. He obviously takes it personally. Dickie's making fun of them, slipping on, as you said, slipping on the on the on the pavement, which is such a minor thing. But they add other details right way around that moment, and you know, Corrado's gonna like have that type of like 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 extreme anger towards somebody for such a minor thing that no one else would like hold that too. Yeah. And that's true to the character. So I, the more mm-hmm. I hated it the first time, not hated it, but like, I just didn't like seeing it the second time. I'm like, this makes sense. Like this really yeah. does. The only thing I didn't like, it didn't provide a lot of closure for Harold's character in the movie. I think that was, I agree. Of, Oh, what do you mean? Are you, you, did you guys miss the whole point? What Harold? Yeah. Well, like he, like he's running, he's running it now. Like he, like they pushed into the suburbs. Like, uh, uh, like, what do you mean? No, he's dead. No, I don't. Harold. 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 Did you watch dead. the ending of this? Leslie Ramos? Odom Jr. The, Harold's the, um, dead. The Leslie Odom Jr. character. Yeah. No, he's not. Where? He was. Where dead. was that he's in dead. the movie? Where did I miss that? I'm confused. He wasn't. That character is a made. Like that character was not in the Sopranos show. Wait, I know. I'm confused. Oh, did did you, Tony's what? first kill? Tony's first. Kill. Oh my show god! At the end of the movie, you never see it coming. It cuts to black. That's the movie. They're playing the Sopranos theme song. Tony's dead, and then Tony and then Harold's dead. Harold killed Tony. What? Wait, wait, wait. No, wait. Dave, I, I, Harold's a made-up character for this movie. He's not in the you never see it show. coming the way. All right. I'm comparing the ending of the movie to the ending of the Sopranos. So you're, so you're think- saying, wait, wait, wait. But I thought I, I, I thought the whole point of it is that the, 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 the Italians got pushed to the suburbs and then like he's now living in the city. I didn't make the connection that anyone's making his at the push. End. 
Yeah. yeah, that's the it's the last it's the last frame of the thing. And it's like a little weird. And then remember the episode where they have to dig up the body from Tony's first kill. I, I, I I'm but, rewatching but Harold's a made up character for this movie. No, but he's I think he's saying I know but he's, I think Tony. But killed him. Well, but no, but it makes sense. Yes, if Tony it killed cut, him. It no, but, cuts to black just like. But, at the end of the last season of Sopranos. Otherwise, why? Like, you're right. Harold's a made up character for their movie. Why do they need to give him any resolution? Like, like, well, like because any he has such a heavy Yeah, but what are you talking about? Tony's first kill then digging up the body. That wasn't in the movie, right? No, 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 no. Something? But they, they, that was in the show. So then that can't be him Harold's body because he's not in the show. That's what I'm saying. Well, he's in a flat in a flashback. He, they, they do it. Oh, they did I miss about his first in, the in the movie? It, it was like, yeah, the credits rolled and it's like, got yourself a gun and it flashes. I to, thought, no, you don't miss him actually dying. It cuts to black. Yeah, but I thought but what right, I'm saying is that it cuts to black just the way it cut to black. Like you don't see it coming. Like that's right. Sopranos. Tony's dead. So is Harold. And I feel like that also provides. So do you think presence. it was so do you, you but like Tony wasn't there. You think Tony killed him in that moment? Like he came up from out of nowhere. I, th- I think, he, no, I think he killed him down, the, like down, the, like down the road. Like you see, oh, I, I, goes, I, no, 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 I agree. Tony I agree. That angrily staring at the casket, being upset. It, it, the the Sopranos theme song starts to roll. It shows him getting made, like a flashback of him getting made. And then the next thing you see after that is Harold with his like kid. doing whatever he's doing. He's acting fine. He like everything looks okay. And then it it, it does get a little eerie. And then it cuts to black. Hmm. So I Maybe don't think Tony that's didn't as obvious him, as he's definitely dead. I don't think that's I, as obvious. I, th- I that thought was, that was, that was I thought that was Harold's I closure. I thought that was Harold's closure it's as like a character has, since they didn't like, do it. No, but I believe down the line, if it wasn't referred to, like if we got a let's say a sequel series, I could see Tony killing Harold. Yeah, I can that too. That makes sense. That Tony breaks bad, obviously, because okay. he wants to get revenge no. for Dickie. But I don't think it was that obvious. Yeah, I don't show. think you put my mind in a pretzel for a second. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I think that's a possibility. I just don't think it's as obvious, especially like because people didn't know like the the whether Tony was dead after the cut to black until David Chase had said it recently. So like like I understand. I actually like what you said. I I, I think that's true. I I could see Tony down the line killing this dude, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't that's a, you, you really enlightened me there. I had no idea what you were talking about for a sec. That's good. But then gonna, if but Tony killing that. this dude like Tony, I think the whole point like all right, I don't want to belabor this, but he. Nobody knows who killed Dickie in the TV show, The Sopranos. So why would Tony like, so Tony, you're they, saying, so you're saying Tony could just it. kill this guy, uh, not because of revenge of Dickie Moltisanti, but because, oh, you're getting t- territory back for the Italians in Newark. Maybe that's Tony knows. Saying. Maybe Tony knew. No, but I think nobody that's, knew that's, that's in they... The Sopranos. Nobody knows. Tony just used that just like, to say to somebody. No, I'm, I'm saying they had to have known or they had to like have thought that it obviously wasn't junior that it was uh How- howard harold but Harold's. nobody but in the tv show nobody knew maybe that's an ambiguous ending just like there's the, a bunch of like the finale was supposed to be all right you know? then yeah maybe that's gonna could be what it was like i like i didn't i didn't even i, I, was, wow. I was did not expect up, this to come i was up. too hung up on corrado and like what just yeah. happened there and i just thought it was okay harold like yeah, so I didn't think the closure was there, but now hmm. I'll have to rewatch that. That's a great, yeah. great point, Nuz. Yeah, I must rewatch um, now. <laughs> you you made him you, you feel like a dummy. I was like, did I, what did I? That's do? what Bobby says. Yeah, man. <laughs> and then also we got to give credit. Hey, we had the uh, one and a half funeral um, over under. We smashed that over. 
smashed the it. over we on did. the one and a half feet. Smashed it. No hospital scenes though. No hospital. Oh, that's scenes, true. I can recall. Yeah, so we can do the. We couldn't parlay those two. Um. All right. <laughs> Any other thoughts on the spoilers before we go on? Well, that's it, right? No time. Yeah, well, I didn't know if anyone had any final thoughts. Many Saints in Newark. Start of it a was, huge stretch for the drive-in podcast. Yeah. Ricky, you have final thoughts here? I thought it was a hot take. No, 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 no. I think I think the hottest take of the night was right there. Um but uh I can't I think you guys just completely missed it. I guess I, I, I think I haven't seen that being talked about anywhere. Because that was the first thing that I thought of. Yeah, I know. Wow. That's what I'm saying. Like but yeah, but that would have been all over Twitter. Yeah. Right? I think that would have been they, so. they would have made I, so. I think I think Nez, what you should do is write a blog about it. Yeah, and then start I think this. You're right. Then David yeah, Chase was taking a run with it. That would get so that would get some that would get some uh page views for sure. Yeah. No I'm I'm scouring the internet now to see if anybody else felt the same way. Hmm. Well yeah, I'm I'm gonna rewatch that scene now. I guess I'll say this to kind of round it out here. This is a solid movie. Double review today, Venom. 90 million at the box office. We said on the checkup on Monday, if you haven't seen that, like the full checkup, go on YouTube, drive in, check out our checkup. So jam-packed, awesome checkup there. But Bond this week already beat in its release in the UK. It beat out Spectre and Skyfall's opening day at the opening weekend at the box office. Move the theaters are back. So it's projected to beat Venom and Venom highest grossing earning since March 2020 movie at the box office. And we're just getting big blockbusters the rest of the year. Almost every single weekend is a huge movie or just an Oscar contender. So you got to stay tuned with us. Check up on YouTube Mondays and Fridays and also on Tuesdays on the podcast form. And we'll be reviewing the movies here. Hell yeah. Follow us on social media. Now that we know it still exists at the drive-in pod uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. We are The Drive-In on Facebook, YouTube. Check us out. We're bringing it every week, three times a week. How are you? Until next time, we will smell you.